All right, yes, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and this last year we did a uh, study through the book of Ephesians, and so you can get online and listen to anything you missed. Uh, A lot of it was also on our Wednesday nights, Um, so anything you missed, you know, verse by verse, you can catch up, and then... uh, Before we moved on, I wanted to just take time on Sundays to really in-depth look at uh, Paul's message to the family units, and and so that's what the last uh, 15 weeks or so has been, just pulling apart his word to the wives, pulling apart his word to the husbands, and then as I prayed this morning, uh, kind of a milestone for us, mile marker, because uh, we're getting into a word to parents for kids. And so I just encourage you, uh, no doubt some of you don't have kids. Uh, some of you um, aren't even married. And so you're like, boy, I, you know, I should have gone to a different church this morning. And maybe something relevant for me would have been taught. Looking at you, Preston. Uh, but, um, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, this text of Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, um, it really is going to help shape our worldview according to the scriptures, according to the gospel. This is really more than just about you, sorry, pop your bubble there. Um, Really, it's about the glory of God among the world. And so as we live as a community of people, according in obedience to the scriptures, then the gospel will go forth, people will be getting saved, and God will be glorified, and his kingdom will come, and his will will be done, and we're looking forward to that. So many of you, you know, well, everyone who's a Christian here, you're called to be making disciples, and so many of your disciples are um, parents, going to be parents, uh, they're grandparents, and so they need to be equipped unto how to help make disciples who follow Jesus. So um, so with that being said, uh, this morning's teaching, at the risk of being a little bit redundant, was taught Father's Day weekend in June at our service in the park. Um, and, you know, just kind of wrestling through, like, maybe I should just go to part two, because I only did part one in the park on Father's Day. And as I started reading my notes, I was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> And since I taught it and had studied it and read over it a whole bunch, um, you probably won't remember anything. So, and it didn't get recorded, so we are recording it right now. Check one, check two, check skiddly doo. Okay, we're good to go. So uh, everything is repeated. Sorry, including the bad jokes. So that being said, while on missions in Nepal this last year. Uh, We would go from house to house or church to church and go around our team and speak to the Nepalis, introducing ourselves, uh, telling a little bit about ourselves. And the basic formula was, hey, my name is Rory, you know, I'm tall, Um, my stupid human trick is this, (laughs) and um, you missed it, Dan, this, no, you've seen it before, you're not even, okay, Um, not impressed. I used to do that at discipleship group. And, um, and, and we'd basically say, you know, I've got four kids and I'm a pastor. And so we'd go around and everyone's saying, I, I have this many kids, I have this many kids. I'm Dave Newberger, you know, we got to him. He's like, I don't have any kids right now. And then this pastor who got saved radically and didn't know how to read. Uh, and then like one night the Lord gave him the ability to read and, and speak and teach publicly. Um, he looks at Dave, he's like, in one year, in one year, you know, so Dave, okay, nope, and um, so he still goes like this, and then when we got to Dustin Cossett, you know, he's all, my name's Dustin, and you know, Dustin, uh, over the last couple years, has lost the same finger twice, both in dump truck tailgate accidents, okay, lost, let me say this again, lost the same finger twice. So first it was this, then it was this, okay? So as he's there, you know, as he's talking, he's like, my name's Dustin, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a machine mechanic, and I have five kids. And, and, and the, oh, five kids, you know, and uh, 
So it made us laugh, and the Nepalis got it. They got that joke. And, um, and then we all laugh because, you know, it seems that the average in our church is that mostly everyone has five kids around here. Not me. Not going to happen. But, you know, you know how averages work, right? You add it all up, and then you divide by the whatever. Okay. So um, we got lots of kids in this church, and we are busting out the seams in children's ministry, and we need help back there. little plug for the children's ministry. Um, but, you know, comedian Jim Gaffigan, if you like him, uh, said that a man asked him, what's it like to have five kids? Jim has five kids. And he said, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Okay. <laughs> Well, you guys laughed harder this time than in the park. Anyone here with five kids, you're like, yes. Four kids, oh my goodness. This morning was very hard. 4.30, the kids didn't realize it was daylight savings time. They get another hour of sleep. But here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we have first of all a word for the kids, which in a couple weeks we're going to have the kids in here with us, and I'm going to preach to them, Okay. They will be convicted. There will be a revival. We're going to fast and pray before that. Um, probably will, actually. But then it goes into a word for fathers and parents. And so uh, let's just look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you have a task. And in fact, you have a few tasks, according to Paul here. One is in the negative and one is two parts in the positive. Now, in all of your family planning, in all of the books that you've ever read about being a dad, have you ever thought about the eternal ramifications of bringing a baby into the world? That it would have a mind and a soul that will exist for all eternity in one of two places. Your baby will spend either eternity in the presence of his creator, Jesus, in glory, in paradise, giving praise and honor to his creator, praise that is due to his name, or he will suffer or she will suffer the wrath of God upon them for sin against that creator for all eternity. Have you considered that? And those of you who have not yet brought a baby into the world, you might consider that before doing so. Recently, we went and got a hot tub for Johnny, and, and we went over to Redmond to pick it up, and just right away, you know, the man who sold it to him was going through a divorce, just a brutal divorce, and he's got the kids, and he was high, and he was using foul language, and him and his neighbor were just cursing and cussing back and forth, and just, I mean, it, it was... It was an opportunity for the gospel to shine. And all of us guys who went there were just praying like, Lord, give us an opportunity. And the Lord brought an opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. It was really awesome. It was really exciting. And one thing that I just really exhorted him in is that he has two sons outside playing soccer right there. And I just said, you know what? This whole following Jesus thing is more than about just you. You have two sons out there, just beautiful boys, athletes, just great kids. I said, they have eternities. And, and you, what you do with this message of Jesus may very well affect where even your sons spend eternity. Because of you, dad and mom, your sin stained your children. Your sin brought a curse upon them. Because of you, your kids are sinners. It's been said that becoming a father is easy. It happens in nothing more than a moment of passion. Being a father, though, is something altogether different than being just a dad. It's nothing less than a life of 
taking up the cross in a life of self-denial. We can bring up our children in the way that they should go, in the path of life, in the path of righteousness. And so in starting this, this section about children, we see that there are discouragements to be avoided, and then, probably not gotten to today, there's discipline to be applied and direction to be affirmed. And so, first of all, the task assigned. As we read verse 4, <clears throat> as we read verse 4, what explodes off the page is what it doesn't say. What it doesn't say is schools. The government. Hey, daycare, listen up. Hey, babysitters. Or even Sunday school teachers. Or pastors. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. No, this is, this is a call to fathers. And though he hasn't forgotten mothers, or even said that they're secondary in this process, in fact, in other places, he, he puts mothers in a very high place and they're to be honored. But he does call to fathers here. Matthew Henry, who I'll quote later, a 15th century preacher, included it as, or you parents. You parents. Now, it can be translated parents in the Greek. But since he uses parents in verse 1, there's no doubt here he means fathers. It's not to say that mothers don't have responsibilities, especially single moms. Clearly it doesn't say that. There is a sharing here. But there's this special call to fathers, and we're going to see why. The fathers are specified as being the fountainheads of domestic authority. We've seen that through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 31. We've established that, his headship, his role as the, the leader of the home, as an authority in the home, domestically. But here fathers are called to avoid this, this provoking of children to wrath, because let's be honest, if you're a dad, or maybe even you have a dad and you could say this about your dad. I think everyone here has a dad, right? At least sort of. Some of us were experiments, I know. But fathers are more prone to passion in relation to their children than mothers. Passion meaning just going to the extreme even in the way they discipline their children or exasperate their children. Mothers, studies show, have the fault more often of overindulgence towards their children. So we've all got some faults in our parenting, but dads, mostly it's our fault that we move towards the provoking of our children towards wrath. Wolverd and Zuck said in their commentary, fathers are addressed because they represent the governmental head of the family on whom rests the responsibility of child discipline. So why to the fathers in particular? You can see why it was the Father's Day message back in June. First of all, because he is the loving leader of his family. This is, a, uh, this is imperative. It's, it's almost a command, um, and, and, and it's in, indicated to us that, that he even is the head of the family. It's really more than be the head. It's you are the head. So function as the head. Now, we have a context that Paul is writing in here in Ephesians, which is to uh, a, a group very familiar, very influenced with Roman culture. In the Roman culture, the father led as an autocrat. He almost was a dictator, very similar to a Victorian era dad. He would order his family and his children around in a way that disregarded them as human beings. Now, 
Some of us, you can already say, okay, I'm starting to remember some things that my dad used to do. Kind of sounds like him a little bit there. Uh, disregarding even me as a human being, you might have that memory. He could treat, the Roman dad could treat his children as slaves if he wanted to. He could even chain them up in the field and he could even kill them using uh, capital punishment on his kids, no questions asked. So this is what Paul is writing to back in the day. Could you imagine? I mean, we really do have it good as Americans. And so basically, Paul is saying to the Ephesians, I'm going to give you a model and principles in your parenting, in your being a father, that will make you radical in your culture. And guys, it's going to make us radical in our culture as well. If we follow the principles of the scriptures here, we will be a light shining in a dark place. We're very different than the world, and you're going to see this over the next few weeks. This is nothing taught in textbooks, but it's derived to us from God being our Father. The understandings, not from our earthly Father translated to God, but rather our, our understandings of God as our Heavenly Father translated to our earthly parenting. Now let me go back a little bit and give you a definition of what headship is biblically. I'm just going to kind of help uh, with my phone here, bringing up some quotes so when we speak of headship, we want to we kind of take maybe whatever lofty ideals you had or carnal ideas or ideas and, and experiences you've had that are wrong views of headship, headship uh, wrongly lived out against you. But let me read this. This is wonderfully taken from the gospel, taken from the scriptures. It says, headship is defined by his responsibility to love. His leadership expresses itself not as being an autocratic leader who makes decisions that bring about whatever he happens to want, but by acting for the greatest good of everyone else in the family. Can I say that again? Biblical gospel-centered headship, dads, husbands, is acting for the greater good of everyone else in the family. Doing everything, making all of his decisions on the basis of what's best for everyone else. Therefore, his leadership is rooted at its core in self-denial. This is how he leads. This is what it means to lead. His authority is expressed in displays of love. Ultimate accountability for loving leadership rests with the Father. The emphasis is not on headship. When we're talking about headship, the emphasis is on love. Not just in name only as a symbol or figurehead, he is to provide direction, know the needs of his children, have his thumb on the pulse of their spiritual condition. Have that in mind as much as you can as we move on, as we look at not provoking our children to wrath, as we go on in the next week or so in looking at discipline, correction, even maybe spanking. <gasps> oh man, we get a knock on my door tonight. Okay? Because when we talk about provoking children to wrath, there's obviously an absence of love and self-denial. When we talk about discipline, the rod of correction, spanking, biblically, all of that is undergirded and surrounded with this type of headship. It's a Jesus-style leadership. It's rooted at its core in self-denial. It's not a guy going around with his scepter saying, I'm the boss, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. It's someone who's emphasizing, I'm laying down my life for you in love. I'm laying down my life for you in sacrificial, servant-style love. There's a difference, wouldn't you say? A second reason fathers are directed here is because fathers are typically the ones 
in greater need of this admonition, not to provoke your children to wrath. I know in our home that's true, okay? I think I'm so funny. I'm such a comedian, and I just like to beep, 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 beep. Oh, now Russell. That seemed kind of wrathful, don't you think? You're provoking me, Dad, you know? And so, you know, for dads, it's just true. We often are the ones that need the greater admonition here. Just as with marriage, we don't want to separate Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 from the power to live it out, which is brought in chapters 1 through 4 of Ephesians. We've looked at that in depth. And then especially Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so just before he gets into wives, you have a role of submission to your husband as you submit to the Lord. Husbands, you have a role of laying down your life for your wife and serving her to the point of death, just as Jesus led by example in that. But all of that comes from, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't turn to the Spirit's, if you will, but turn to the Spirit. Turn to the one in whom there's life. And then what Paul does is after saying be filled with the Spirit, is he goes into verse after verse after verse of telling the Ephesian church, what does it look like if someone is filled with the Spirit? People will sing to one another. No, I'm just kidding. It's not unusual. Okay. We will sing to one another, I should have finished, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And a lot of, sometimes they'll come up on a Sunday when we're worshiping and you'll notice that the song that we're singing, it's not so much directed to God upward. Sometimes it goes outward like this. Have you ever noticed that? How great is our God. How great is our God. Okay, so that's just one of those choruses that has both. It's like, you know, get confused sometimes. Like, okay. But, you know, notice that there are times in our worship where it's praise and it's exhorting one another. Let's go to the cross. Let's go to the altar. Let's go before the presence of the Lord. And, and, and so there, that's just an evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What are more evidences? Scissors? Ephesians 5.21, just a couple of verses later, says that we will submit to one another in the fear of God. Studies in the past that we've done over the last number of weeks, you've got to listen to them if you haven't listened to them, talk about submission. And it is an ugly word in our day and age. It is so ugly. Our world hates it. Our churches hate it. You hate it. I'm telling you, you hate it, okay? And I hate it. But when we come to a right biblical definition of submission, we find that there is incredible dignity to it. When it's biblical, this is the way God's created things to run and to work. And it's, it's, it's about um, order, not value. And that's a wonderful thing to know. And daily throughout our lives, whether we're talking ecclesiologically in the church or governmentally in our society, we have to learn to submit. All of us do. And we hate it. It goes against the very fiber of our sinful nature. So I'm going to go get drunk. No. We need to go be filled with the Spirit. Then as we're filled with the Spirit, there will be this wonderful overflow of a joyful submission to one another with the fear of God and an honor of God and a reverence of God at the core. 
That's important to know because then as we're submitting to one another, we get into wives submit to your husbands and you're like, well, yes, there is that role. And and also there's times when a husband submits to his wife because she's a one another. It goes, you know, there's this wonderful reciprocation of submission within the the body of Christ. And then we get into this, this, okay, so if you're full of the Spirit, you're going to be submitting. Wives that are filled with the Spirit will be submitting to their husbands. Husbands that that are filled with the Spirit will be loving their wives as Christ loved the church and laying their lives down for her. Children that are full with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, will be obeying their parents and honoring their father and mother. And fathers that are filled with the Spirit will not be provoking their children to wrath, but will be bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The Holman Concise Bible Commentary says, In each of these relationships... The first partner is exhorted to be submissive and obedient. The second person in the relationship shows submissiveness by Christ-like love and concerned care. All concerned experience, uh, all concerned experience personal worth, value, security, and significance when these reciprocal relationships are exercised under the lordship of Christ. So we're called to submit. And in these cases, wives, you're called to submit in the marriage relationship. Children are to submit to their parents. Husbands submit themselves to the Lord. And on the other end of things, there's this showing of submissiveness by Christ's like love and concern care. It's a beautiful circle. And so Paul always begins by addressing the one who needs to live out submission. That'll be the kids in a couple weeks. Then he turns, and we're kind of hop, hopscotch in here. He turns to the ones responsible for creating a climate where submission will be easy to do. It'll be pleasing. It'll be natural. And for the wives, a husband needs to create that climate of, uh, for success. And within the home, the father creates that climate for success with his children. Now notice the very first word in verse 4 is the word and, which everyone wants to know, is a coordinating conjunction. Mm. Amen. Which tells us that Paul's address to parents and to children is not yet finished. The God-given responsibilities are not only for children, but fathers have God-given responsibilities to create an environment, to create a climate in their home that makes it easy, natural, enjoyable for their children to obey and honor them. Oh, bless you, little baby. Oh. This does not mean that a parent has to accommodate every whim of their children. This doesn't deny house rules or correction or chastisement. I told this story before, but I love it and I laugh every time I hear about it. So you're going to hear it again. I'm sorry. But our friend Art Azurdia tells the story of how he went to dinner at a home where it was obvious that the kid ruled the roost. When entering in the home, he found that there was a full-size swing set right in the middle of the living room. At the beginning of dinner, the boy left the table and began to play on the set, trying to hit Art with his foot. He could feel the breeze from him almost passing by. But Art tells the story that now that boy is full-grown and is a man and is nearly incapacitated as a human being. He cannot function in any meaningful way with people, let alone serve as an instrument for the advancement of the kingdom of God. He's been paralyzed by his parents' passivity. Okay, so we're going to be encouraged over the next couple of weeks that God has not called us to be passive, 
God has not called us to obey our children and ask, what do you want to do in those important life decisions? We exercise headship, dads, with self-denial at our roots, okay? So we set the climate by leading and we don't bow or accommodate every whim of our children. The Duke of Windsor was asked what impressed him most about America. His response was telling when he said, I find it interesting the way American parents obey their children. Now just think about that. You know, we, it's totally funny, actually. <laughs> but think about it in your life. Do I obey my children? Who's the head here? Ephesians is telling us that being faithful to God's design, parents should seek to create a context that furnishes their children with the greatest possibility of success to God's command in chapter 6, verse 1. Obeying parents, honoring mother and father. This is addressed to dads because between us, we dads need the greater admonition. More than anyone else in my home, Rory sets the tone. I'm the thermostat. The temperature is determined by me. When I'm joyful, so are they. When I display affection, so do they. I mean, I just love getting home from trips. You know, there's an old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Okay? And so I leave a lot. And in my most recent abandonment of my children, I went to Hawaii and I had a vacation and I got back after a week and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I just want to smother my kids, you know? And I just, one of my favorite things is, uh, don't tell anyone, um, we have a little game on our trampoline called Bottom Biting Barracuda. Now, it started out in the swimming pool and now we don't, you know, so when the pool's gone, it's a trampoline game. It's just like, beep, 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 you know? Anyways. What, hap- what we say in the church stays in the church. Don't be taking these things out. And don't be stealing it. And don't worry, when your kids are over, I don't play it, okay? I've been asked. No, we don't play that with other people's children. Okay. You want daddy to go to prison? Okay. But you know, in the game, some of you dads know that, you know, as you, you got the kid down and... My favorite thing is to just go for a bite right here, but not a real bite, but just to, you dig your teeth in like you're going to bite, and it just, wow, okay? Get your kids. That's my, let me tell you, when you set the tone for that in your home, it reciprocates itself, comes back to you. Now Titus, my three-year-old, he's learned how to do that, but he doesn't know you don't bite. You just act like you're going to bite. And so at the dinner table last night, we're playing a game of life, SpongeBob style, and I feel a right here, okay? And so it's good because there is this climate in our house of just like, let's go down, let's play pony, let's play bottom-biting barracuda. It's so fun. We set that climate of fun. It creates scars, but... When I speak the gospel with ease, so do they. When I sing praises to God... So do they. They follow me. And so I ask you, do your children see you pray? Do your children see you read the scriptures? You know, lately we're just kind of trying a little more to, you know, we have the Bible on our phone and it's handy. You can highlight and you know I'm a highlighter. And, and, uh, but you know, my kids don't know if I'm, you know, playing Minesweeper or checking Facebook, you know, or just mindlessly like, It's been called digital cocaine, you know. Or if I'm reading the scriptures, they don't know. But when I bust out the the leatherback book, you know, then they know that I'm in the word, you know. It's just to help them just develop that as well in their own life. Do they see you serve? Do they see you using your home for ministry? Art told a different story of his mentor, a guy that he really loved that poured into his life. He said that they were sitting at a table when his mentor was in his late 80s. 
And, uh, and Art asked, how can I pray for you? And his mentor said, pray for my youngest daughter, who's now in her 60s and has rejected the gospel. The eldest two children were walking with the Lord, though. And Art asked, humanly speaking, was there something that you might have done that could have contributed in some kind of negative way, maybe soured her on the gospel? And the, 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 the friend said, I've thought about that so many times, of course, as all parents do. The difference, as I look back on things, was this. With the first two children, I was in pastoral ministry. We'd pe- we had people in our home all the time. We were doing ministry, talking about the gospel, seeing the people of God together, singing and laughing, talking with unbelievers about the gospel. He said, I then became the president of a theological seminary and my youngest child came along and all of that was gone. I can't help but think that had negative consequences in her life as she failed to see the exuberant fellowship that marks God's people. You know, that's really encouraging because in Ephesians chapter 4, we see that all of the saints... You're a Christian, you're a saint. How's that feel? You're either a saint or you're an ain't. So which is it, right? All the saints are called to be ministers in the same just incredible capacity as pastors and full-time uh, ministers. And what's encouraging about this is, um, you know, for instance, you know, in 15 minutes, I got to leave, right? So don't worry, it's going to end soon. I got to leave, we're hopping in the car, and we're going to Seneca. We're going to minister in Seneca. Then we're going to hop in the car, and we're going to go to John Day. We're going to minister in John Day, and then we're just going to be driving home. Johnny's going to be in my car. Lindsay's going to be with Jess. We're just going to have fellowship and talking, and and we talk about the Lord the whole way. It's just incredible, wonderful times, guys. And our kids are a part of that. We take them with us. They are observing this. We talk about it. What are we doing? We're making disciples. We're going regionally. You know, we go locally, regionally. We go globally. It's a part of our lives. And the cool story is that um, Josh Bryant in Burns, you know, they've been, they do the Seneca thing every week. Every week. So they get done in Burns and they head up to Seneca. They got a 15-passenger van and they pile it full of people who are going to minister in Seneca. Every week. Okay, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot on your plate. And he's just been like so sensitive. You know, he has two biological kids and then they just have kind of brought in uh, four foster kids. And so, they, so that 15 passenger van gets full real quick, you can imagine. And, but Josh is just sensitive. He's like, gosh, I don't want to like just burn out my kids with ministry and with this. And, and he just asked them, you know, like, are you guys okay doing this this week? And they're like, why wouldn't we be? This is what we do. You know, we serve the Lord. We do it as a family. And it's like, whoa, glory, let's go. You know, and so the encouraging thing is, is that doesn't have to just be Josh's story with his kids. And it doesn't just have to be our story with our kids. This can be your story with your kids, hosting a home group, hosting your discipleship groups, um, being down here Sunday nights. What do we do? We go down. We, well, we are just at the church. It's what we do. We are the church. We're always 24-7. We're the church. And the church is praying tonight, okay? We're the next week, we're 242 groups. This is what we do. We're the church. We don't take a break from being the church, okay? It's all the time. And your kids will see that. And your kids will also see the lack of it. They'll see that you do check a box for your religious activity during the week. They'll see that you do, you know, well, we were there from, you know, I think it was uh, 9.30 to 11.30 today. And that's like pretty hardcore. <laughs> so now we're going to go and just live for the flesh for the rest of the day. Your kids see that. And I know because that's me a lot of times. Your kids see it. Do your children see you, you opening up your home, using it for ministry, talking with other people about Jesus, Committed to the body of Christ. Excited and thrilled about Sunday. They will learn these things from you, Dad. It's your job. Can't be delegated to your wife. Should not be delegated to your wife. Should not be delegated to the Sunday school teachers. Or to parachurch organizations. 
It's addressed to the dads because we are the ones that need to hear this. And for those of you whose kids are out of home and this is seemingly irrelevant to you, no doubt there's repentance that's needed today in your life. No doubt, if you look at the climate of your kid's life, where have all the fathers gone? And where were you? Repent. Repent. Lord, I see that this is what you've called me to, and this is not what I was. And, and Lord, I just come back, and I just ask for forgiveness. I ask for your grace. Shower me with mercy, and help me to live now with this as the center of my life. Dads, don't provoke your kids. Don't be harsh, unkind, critical, selfish, impatient, insensitive, sarcastic. The ratio is 1 to 50 for Lindsay misspeaking to the kids versus me misspeaking to the kids. Truly. Don't ask her about it. I already confessed it. You don't need specifics. She probably doesn't remember anyways. She thinks I'm pretty good at it. Um, But literally, this verse reads, Fathers, stop provoking your children to anger. You've been doing it. Stop doing it. And so, men, what is the temperature of your home? Is it rigid, narrow, everyone's walking on eggshells? Is it restrictive, heavy, somber all the time, bitter? Is it warm? Is it inviting? Is it fun and joyful? Set the temperature. I really like those new high-tech temp- thermostats in your house, you know, that you can you connect it to your phone and it, knows, it like reads when you leave the door and when you come back and it's like, ooh, Rory's going to be back about this time, so we need to set it up and it's just going to be great when he comes in. And maybe that's kind of needing to happen in our lives, right? Setting the tone like, oh man, this is okay, honey's, com- honey's, com- honey's coming home. I don't normally talk like that. <laughs> honey's going to be home in about five minutes. Okay. So, you know, got to set the tone, get the climate going, get it so that she comes home. Because there are days where she comes home after me. So I want to be mindful of that. Or honey's going to wake up in a little bit, and I want to make sure that the kids are, you know, honey. Anyways. (laughs) Is there laughter in your home? Is there more laughter than tears? Do your children live in fear of making a mistake all the time? Can they laugh at each other? Can they laugh at themselves? Can they laugh at you? Ain't nobody laughs at me. What'd I just say? Is it easy to speak of spiritual things or the gospel in your home? Do you pray in your home? More than just a quick bless this food, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the glove. Glove? No, really, I'm very thankful for this glove. Anyways, is the gospel pervasive in your home because of you? Do your children know that far more than them having a career with a fat salary or a playpen full of kids, when they grow up, you desire that they just be followers of Jesus? I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you make six figures. I don't care if you have 12 kids. I don't care if you follow in my footsteps in my career choice or in my athletic abilities, any of that. That is so not important. What is important is, are you following hard after God? Dads, you set that climate. Telling your children over and over that God has given them life, not so that you can exercise self-indulgence, but so that you can live for the furtherance of the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. So what kind of a man is a father like this? Well, we are in Ephesians, aren't we? And we are in chapter 6, aren't we? So there were five previous full chapters that Paul was addressing this dude And so Paul is assuming that this dude in chapter 6 verse 4 is the same guy that he's been addressing the rest of the book. He is a born-again dad. He's a Christian dad. 
He's a dad who understands the blessings of God upon his life. This God has blessed him with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He's a dad that understands the sovereignty of God in his life. That he has been called and elected and predestined for the, for the, the, the praise of his glorious grace. He's a dad who understands that he has been taken in chapter 2, verse 1, from darkness into the marvelous light. That he's been taken of a place of being an alien and a stranger and a foreigner from the blessings of God. And by the grace of God, he has been brought near into the family of God. That's the dad this is talking about. This is a dad that has a new identity in Christ, a new DNA that isn't a Gentile. He's not a Jew, but he's part of the chapter three of Ephesians. God has made one new nation in the gospel. I'm more than an American. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God is this dad. This is a dad that knows the gospel and from chapter 4, verse 1, is told how to live because of the gospel. He is a dad that is told to renounce things that are compromising and to be imitators of God as dear children. And so that being said, as we are beginning to wrap up, all of this dad stuff today, guys, you will never be able to do it. And on your best day, it'll fall short and end up being all about you and the praise of your glory. Unless you're born again and saved. Have you been born again? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Have you embraced the gospel? Have you been conveyed from darkness to light? From being an enemy of God to being a friend of God and a child of God and a citizen of the kingdom of God? Have you been saved? Isn't that a beautiful word? You know, we talked about, you know, your kids preaching the gospel because, Dad, you're preaching the gospel. And guys, I preach the gospel at church, but it's just been, it's just, I feel like in my life, it's just been less and less out just among people. It used to be so much. And my son, Russell, he was this little evangelist since he was a little boy. Anywhere we were, he'd be like, hey, you love Jesus? What's up with your kid, man? He's asking you a question. <laughs> there used to be a trail by our house down to Barnes Butte Reservoir. And my son, Russell, would sit up on the top of our playground. And someone would walk by, hey, you love Jesus? And then they'd walk faster and try to get down there. You know? <laughs> And then someone built a house there. And boy, that guy wasn't safe. You know, he's out there building his house. Hey, you love Jesus? I don't talk about that. Why not? <laughs> you know, old guy pretends to be deaf, like, I can't hear what you're saying. You know, and it's been less with Russell. Because you know who else it's been less with? Dad. Dad. We set the climate in our home. We know the gospel. We're born again dads. Therefore, we're telling people about the gospel because we know it's glorious and wonderful. But someone that doesn't know the gospel isn't going to be preaching the gospel. And someone that isn't preaching the gospel isn't going to be teaching the gospel to his kids at home. This is a Christian dad here that's spoken of, filled with the Spirit, as we read about in 518. Later on in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he's prepared for the spiritual battle that will take place if he gets serious about this whole Jesus thing. He realizes that there will be... Sorry, Siri, my bad. He realizes that there will be a spiritual attack upon him and his home if he really says, you know what? This is how God has designed the home and I'm going to live by that. <laughs> the devil comes after you. And so... Have you been saved? I mentioned that's a, that's a beautiful word, isn't it? And it reminded me of back when, back when I was on fire for Jesus. It's kind of sad, right? Back when I was on fire for Jesus as a high schooler. 
And we just go up to people and be like, have you been saved? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, well, here's what being saved is. And then people would get saved. And you'd be like, Billy got saved. Chris got saved. Ivan got saved. Woo! Remember when that was like part of the lingo? Someone got saved? We're going to be praying at the pulse tonight that people would be getting saved in this community. That dads would be getting saved in our church. That new life would come in as the gospel advances in our church and in Prineville. And so he's referring to a truly Christian man here. We can have the worship team come on up. This truly Christian man, and, and I'm not talking today about someone who is a moral man. I'm not talking about someone who's an authoritarian man. Or a man that can't get anybody to follow him, so he throws things around the house and sits alone, steeped in bitterness and his own self-righteousness. Paul is talking here about a born-again father, shaped and controlled by the gospel. Someone who, when he sees where his life doesn't measure up to this book, repents, comes to the throne of grace, confesses his sin and his falling short of this book, receives just that filling with the Spirit so that he can now take practical measures in living out obedience to this book. Have you been saved? I'm not asking, are you an American? If you vote Republican, if you've ever been in jail before, I'm not asking if you shower twice a day, got the latest styles. I'm asking, are you saved? Are you born again? Have you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your heart? That you have sinned against God? Has there been godly sorrow over that sin in your life? So that you would turn from that sin? And receive and believe and trust in God and in his ways. And in his way to make you sinless. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Where Jesus went and sacrificed himself and substituted himself for you. He died so that you wouldn't have to. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that that wrath wouldn't be upon you. And have you received by faith the grace of God, that gracious gift, that provision of sinlessness into your life? And in receiving, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Who will come and dwell in you and give you a desire to want to follow God and conviction to the things that are against God and give you power for the things of God. Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Have you been made a new creation? Have you been set free? He who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. Is there an indeed after that? I've been set free. I've been set free indeed. I've been saved. Before we move on into just God's word for parents, we want to go no further than these words are for Christian parents. Are you a Christian here today? Why don't we just bow our head and close our eyes? Maybe for you, coming into this place today, if someone were to ask you, hey, are you saved? 
you wouldn't know. Or maybe you would just say no. And the beautiful thing is, is that you can leave this place today with joy that you've been set free. You've been born again. You've been saved. If right here where you're at, you'll just recognize before the Lord. And you can do this. I'm not going to pray it for you, but you can just do this in your heart. Just pray like a little kid, just talking to his mom and dad. You know, Titus, my three-year-old, he tries talking to us right now, and it's 90% of a sentence is indistinguishable. (laughs) But you know what? I love that he's talking to me, and I kind of get the point as he's going along. Just go along to the Lord right now. And just recognize to him your sin. Confess your sin to him. Just say to him, Lord, I see what you see. That I have sinned. I've rebelled against you. I know what the Bible says. How I should behave. How I should act. What I should do. And I've not been doing that. And I'm a parent and I've not been parenting this way. And I don't even know what half of the things that Rory's been talking about, about grace and forgiveness and all this stuff. But I know right now that, that there has, there's been a crime against you committed by me. And you know what those things are. And you guys can just confess right now in your heart to the Lord your sins. You can acknowledge that you are a sinner. You can pray the prayer, woe is me, I am a sinner. Be specific with the Lord. Don't hide anything from him. Let him work in your heart right now, just a sorrow for your sin that will lead you to turn away from it. And receive from him today. Receive forgiveness. Receive his forgetting of your sins. Receive the substitution that Jesus has been in your place and has atoned for your sins. Your sins have been blotted out, washed away, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed your sin from you. Receive today the Holy Spirit so that you don't go from this place alone, but you have the presence of the living God in you today. He will help you live and follow him. You can be saved today. Just cry out to the Lord, maybe in three-year-old language, Lord, save me. Save me. I know I can't be the, the dad, the mom, the parent, even the wife or the husband that we've learned about today without being saved, without being filled with the Spirit. I can't do it. I need you, God. You know, there's a phrase that is oftentimes coupled with the wonderful good news of being saved. In the New Testament, it's if you continue. Continue. Now, continuing on in the things of Jesus, they show that you've been saved today. Live a life of continuing with Jesus from this day on and forever. Not saved by good works, but saved for good works. So we might live for him and honor him. Why don't we stand together today? And as we close in song, I just encourage you today, if you just 
cried out to the Lord today, you just, you're able to say, hey, I, I believe I'm saved today. I'm, I'm just wanting to live for Jesus and follow hard after Jesus now. I'm thankful for forgiveness of sins. I just, I feel like a burden's been lifted off of me. This weight of sin and condemnation and it's gone. Free at last, I'm free. Indeed. I encourage you, if that's you today, come talk to me. Or grab one of these worship team leaders up here. They're, they're people that you know are part of what God's doing here. Come grab one of them and just say, hey, I just want you to know today I cried out to God for salvation. I want to continue with Jesus. What do I do now? These people up here will help point you in that direction. But Lord, we want to be a people that are saved. We want to be a people that are rejoicing in the grace of God, thankful for the grace of God in awe of the mercy of God so that we can parent our children in light of that. So pour out grace on us today, your people, as we close in song. Go ahead, Adam.